Welcome to A Seat at the Table, a podcast dedicated to highlighting the importance of cultural intelligence in the workplace and brought to you by MFHA, the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance. We believe an inclusive business is a profitable business, so join us as we dive into practical advice on how you can communicate effectively with people from different cultural backgrounds. I'm your host, Jerry Fernandez, founder and president of MFHA. Well, welcome, Dr. Brown, to A Seat at the Table. It's good to have you. Thank you, Jerry, for the invitation. I am so glad to be here with you. Well, I'm glad to have you with the time and is appropriate given all the things going on uh, around us in the country and in our workplace every day. Why don't you start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Hmm. Where do I start? Um, well, last year, I started my own racial equity and organization development consultancy practice after more than 20 years working within various organizations. So in my practice, I partner with organizations and leaders to strengthen and build long-term success by supporting and facilitating their efforts to either establish or reestablish clear strategic direction and develop capacity and structures to fulfill their commitments to ending racial and social injustice in the world and sometimes within the walls of their organization. I also serve as an advisor for several organizations where I focus on their research, political education, and civic engagement efforts. Jerry, prior to starting my practice, I spent about seven years as the executive director of a racial justice center incubated in a large organization in Washington, D.C., where I plan and led all policies and programs aimed at ending systemic, structural, and anti-Black racism. With my amazing team, we were able to develop education, engagement, and leadership systems and processes to equip people to challenge and dismantle racist systems and unjust outcomes in relation to other systems and structures, not in isolation. So that means employment, education, and housing or economics, criminal justice, and healthcare, not just one industry alone. This also included a comprehensive program to embody, communicate, and advance a specific racial equity analysis with the organization's two plus million constituents, including the public and elected officials, to build the strongest, most effective conversation about how economics and race are intrinsically linked. And before that, for about a decade, Jerry, I served as higher education executive administrator at an Ivy League institution where I built structures and processes to address organizational challenges and develop and implement strategic plans around equity and inclusion. And I've also been a part of significant organizational transformations, an IPO, to international and global expansions, large-scale mergers, executive leadership transitions, etc. Wow. You said a lot there. Uh, so if we had to, had to boil it down to a couple of key elements that you want people to keep in mind as a theme throughout this conversation, what would they be? Because you said something about anti-black, which was before all this, this uh, uh, anti-racism movement. You've had a considerable amount of experience with, with both um, – private companies in education. Um, so what, what, what would you say the two or three drivers of, of your work? Why do you do this work? Hmm. Well, let's see. Regardless of the year, the industry or the sector or the geography location, over the span of my career, there's one thing that I understood and knew to be true. 
From that understanding, I figured out a way to provoke and change what I wanted to see. Jerry, that one thing is, if you pay attention to race in the beginning, there is great potential for creating an organization where everyone feels a sense of belonging and everyone's contributions are valued and everyone receives respect regardless as to where they sit in the organization. Wow, that's good. That's really good. Uh, Pay attention to race in the beginning. Uh, It doesn't feel like we started our conversations about our leadership development efforts in the restaurant and hospitality space, uh, beginning with race, uh, but it's certainly something we're dealing with now. So uh, how do you define racism or anti-racism, which uh, nobody wants to be a racist and and probably everybody would prefer to be an anti-racist. So how do you define those terms for the audience? Thanks, Jerry, for asking this question, because in order to frame this conversation properly, I believe a shared understanding of racism and its effect on people of color and black people specifically is necessary. An effective operational definition of racism is a system that structures opportunity and assigns value based on phenotype. Note, I use the word system. You see, racism unfairly disadvantages other individuals and communities and undermines realization of the full potential of the whole society through a waste of human resources. I tend to favor this definition that I shared with you and find it more useful for a practitioner's perspective as opposed to the traditional definitions of racism, such as those provided in dictionaries, which only capture the interpersonal aspects of racism, mainly prejudice and discrimination. So racism or anti-racism, how do you, how do you define that? For simplicity's sake, let's think about racism as a formula. Race, prejudice, plus power. Race, prejudice, plus power. Say more about that. Racism refers to systems, the procedures, social norms, structures, the collective ideologies, along with individual and group actions that maintain racial inequity and afford privilege to dominant racial groups, so in this case white people, based on their skin color. And so there has to be an element of power for racism. Otherwise, it wouldn't it wouldn't thrive. Not to make things more complex. And before I move on to anti-racism, I wanted to lift up the three distinct forms of racism, institutionalized, personally meditated and internalized racism. So these three different types of racism, they all work. And sometimes they work at the same time to perpetuate the inequalities of people of color while providing privileges for white people. So just a little more on the three types of racism. Internalized racism, Jerry, is when those who are unfairly disadvantaged as a result of racism experience various forms of disparity and even internalized racial hostility towards members of their own and other non-dominant racial groups. And so, um, you know, racism amongst and within uh, communities of color. Institutional racism remains normalized in all aspects of social life and codified through the legal system. So structural racism is the connector that holds all that institutions and manifests in two forms, both material wealth inequality. So that includes things like um, our education, our housing, gainful employment, health care, clean environment, etc., and Jerry, that power piece. So remember when I said uh, race prejudice plus power was racism? Um, it's power inequity. So um, voting rights, access to information, representation in government, the control of the media. 
And the racism that we all, you know, have witnessed and have seen um, on YouTube that's dominating our social media feeds that's, you know, um, on the on the news is the personally meditated racism, the different assumptions made about a person or a group's ability based on their race. And this is a, the, the type of racism that goes viral and the one that most people experience on a regular basis. So a lack of respect, such as refusal of customer. So, you know, somebody goes into an establishment and they refuse to be served. Suspicion, you know, shopkeeper vigilance, everyday avoidance. Um, we've all seen those videos with someone clutching their purse because a person of color walks past. Devaluation, um, such as I'm very surprised of your competency or, you know, we should want to stifle your aspirations or even scapegoating. And then the thing that has uh, captured a lot of attention is the dehumanization, um, things like police brutality, abuse and hate crimes. What about anti-racism? You, uh, you've given us a lot to, to chew on on the racism piece. What about anti-racism before we move on to question number three? So anti-racism is the belief that racism exists on cultural institutions in all the levels that we, that we talked about. There is an awareness of oneself as a racial being and a member of cultures, institutions, and systems that support racism and the belief that one must work actively against racism on all of the levels in order to diminish its presence and power in society. Well, that's pretty clear. You got to believe that it exists. You got to know that it's in the system, it's in the structure, and then you have to own your responsibility to do something about it. That That's pretty clear to me. Absolutely. What are the implications of not being an anti-racist organization? We could probably all come up with our own visions of what being an overtly racist organization would mean today. So what are the implications of not being an anti-racist organization? So, Jerry, to understand the implications, we must discuss what an anti-racist organization is. It's not enough to just not be racist or non-racist. In order for us to move closer to a more equitable and fair society, we must move toward the deliberate belief and practice of anti-racism. So anti-racism and an anti-racist organization is one that purposefully identifies, discusses, and challenges issues of race and the impact that it has on its system, structures, and people. Anti-racist organizations actively work to eliminate racism from within by challenging systems, their organization structures, their policies, their practices, their values, so that power is redistributed and shared equitably. When I work with organizations, they often say, well, we're a corporation or we're a social justice organization or we're a foundation or we're a food service industry. We're in hospitality. Those really represent tax status or industry sector identities. I want to emphasize purposefully not being colorblind. In anti-racist organizations, the aim is not to not see or identify race. It isn't realistic. It isn't authentic. Rather, it is understood that race structures most, if not all, aspects of our life together and separate. And to ignore it with false colorblindness makes it really impossible to address and to really minimize undue harm without intervention. 
Well, well, let me make sure I get this clear. People say all the time, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Uh, I, I treat everyone the same. You know, that what you just said flies in the face of that. Can you, can you say more about what that means? What do I say to my, my, my colleague when they say, I, I don't see color? Wow. When your colleague said that they don't see color, well, then they don't see you. Right. And again, it's not authentic. And, um, the intention is for organizations to focus on race in a way, in all corners of the organization. And if not, there are some pretty serious implications. Those implications for not being an anti-racist organization is directly tied to an organization's performance. And what I mean by that, Jerry, is they will always get less than whatever they anticipate on the return on investment to shareholders. It limits their access to resources It limits the organization's ability to acquire sponsorship, develop strategies, and to effectively mobilize people in the direction in which they want them to go. Regardless of a tax structure, mission, goals, industry, not being able to do one or many of these things could potentially be elimination of an organization, of a company, of a person even. Wow. uh, again, the, this implication piece is, is really important to us. What does a, a an anti-racist organization look like? What What are the signs that if I walk into a business and I'm interviewing someone or I'm talking to a company, what are the signs that I'm involved or I'm in, in engaging an anti-racist organization? What does it look like? Well, I can tell you that they, they don't all look the same, but there are some common attributes and practices of anti-racist organizations. I would say one that um, stands out the most is that the organization understands and articulates a clear case for taking on race as mission critical. Clear case to take on race as mission critical. As mission critical. They set clear standards for equity, inclusion, and diversity at all levels within the organization. They routinely collect data. They disaggregate the data and they analyze race around programmatic and operational work. There are clear policies, practices, and procedures. Those are um, looked at and viewed through a racial equity lens. There has to be uh, mechanisms for accountability around equity. And one of the things that I think is um, pretty critical for um, anti-racist organizations is that it actually supports and facilitates people of color and white people doing work both separately and together. Say that again. I want to make sure that is clear for the audience. It it benefits both groups, right? Yeah. Yeah. It supports and facilitates, you know, racial groups coming together, working together collaboratively within the organization. That makes perfect sense. And in order to do this, there has to be um, education and engagement that includes robust discussions around racism, privilege, power, accountability. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. We're Kellogg's Away From Home. And we're all about creating cravings that keep customers coming back and businesses thriving. With consumer-beloved brands like Pringles, Cheez-It, Nutrigrain, Fruit Loops, Pop-Tarts, Rice Krispies, Eggo, RX Bar, 
Morningstar Farms, and Incognito. Plus, menu ideas and a hunger to create the next delicious idea. We're here to help deliver experiences your customers crave, today and tomorrow. But we do more than help businesses grow. We're committed to nourishing communities and helping them flourish, which is why Kellogg donated over $17 million in food and funds to global COVID-19 hunger relief. And through Kellogg's Better Days, we're working to create better days for 3 billion people by the end of 2030. We also nourish diversity. A core K value is respect for all individuals, embracing diverse backgrounds, experiences, approaches, and ideas. A long-standing partner of the NAACP, Kellogg recently donated an additional $1 million in support of important work to create a society free from racial discrimination. We continue to seek opportunities to advocate and make an impact on this critical issue. For over 100 years, Kellogg has been committed to nourishing people, communities, and businesses. So let's work together to move ahead, ahead of demand, ahead of competition, and ahead of the crave. Learn how you can get ahead of the crave at kelloggsawayfromhome.com. So what kind of training or education is is what you would offer, and how does that differ from things we've seen with diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in the past? Uh, the work that I have done with organization is that it's part of a transformation effort. So there's no standalone, you know, types of training. Um, again, there's a review of everything that they do, um, including uh, their policies and practices. You know, is there unattended consequences? Does it impact people differently? And can you uh, tell that difference, you know, based on race? Interesting. Interesting. Uh, some really powerful things that you 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 said uh, in terms of what common attributes or aspects that when you're in, in an in a anti-racist organization, uh, data, clear standards, you know, clear case to to take on race. That's a that's a that's a bumper sticker for me. Almost clear case to take on race. Um, what are the most challenging aspects of becoming an anti-racist organization? This, this, this spin put on everything. You know, something is good for the left. It's not good for the right. Not good for the right. It's not good for the left. Um, and what, what are the challenges that all the people are going to face as they begin this work? Well, um, you know, it's hard to um, separate from the ways that we are bound, like um, racism is embedded. I mean, it's in the DNA of our of our country. It's embedded in in every system. Um, there are people who have benefited uh, from it, and it's hard because it's it's so charged. Uh, racism is so complex, and um, a lot of times the work that is done, it requires you to be on a binary. Like it's either you're racist or or you're not. And sometimes it's just not that simple. Clearly, there are some people who benefit from racism. Um, what's probably most appropriate to say is that racism doesn't work for anyone. And in the long term, not being able to fully engage every single person, regardless of race, has tremendous loss of um, human resources for organizations and for the world. We talked a little bit about uh, anti-Black racism. Can you address that one, particularly because of the police violence that we've been seeing? Sure. Um, you know, everything about our how our society currently works communicates that Black lives do not matter. 
A good friend of mine often reminds me that we cannot get away from how we are bound. So understanding that this country has never had structures that were equitable or inclusive for all people is important. And anti-Black racism, Jerry, is our nation's identity and built into all of our structures and systems. The term really refers to the specific prejudice plus power that is centered on the oppression and subjugation of Black people. It is a fundamental and historically structured principle of our society that systematically assigns value and produces disparate outcomes along racial hierarchy, where Blacks are regularly at the bottom and whites on the top. And this particular type of racism has been used to routinely hijack, drive, and structure our government and economy to benefit a few and disadvantage a vast majority of other people, including white people. Excellent. So this uh, anti-Black racism it's fundamental to the American uh, psyche. The, the 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 republic was built on that. So so that makes sense. You help that really helps me as I think about how all that plays out um, with community policing. Um, policing was was developed um, as a way to catch slaves originally. Yeah, as a way. Yeah, you know that the special Thirteenth Amendment, um, with the exception clause to abolish slavery, unless. Uh, in the form of being a convict. And that became the foundation for racialized outcomes in policing and in mass incarceration to this day. There has been and continue to be profit motives um, that span from the crib to the prison pipeline. And the fact is, Jerry, that many people of color and Black people in particular uh, descend in a seamless, endless cycle of traffic stops, fines, court appearances, late fees, suspensions, um, reinstatements. And there are some people who can uh, report that they've been stopped 50, 100 times uh, by police. And the challenge is that some of those encounters result in violence. And so it's not just one police officer. It's not just one precinct. It's not just one jurisdiction. It's the legacy of enslavement that still lives today. And I mean, you can Google it. And there are numerous state and federally commissioned studies exploring racial bias and discrimination in policing. And nearly every study, Jerry, has found that black and brown people were most likely to be stopped, fined, arrested, or even killed. Well, that's an unfortunate reality and one that I hope this whole anti-racism movement that we're seeing taking a hold of the country will help to, to end. Uh, let's move on. As we, we think about organizations and how they're going to address the threat that racism brings to the bottom line, you know, what are the first steps? What do people need to do to get started on this? Yeah, I think first is acknowledging, Jerry, what I said before is that racism doesn't work for anyone, not even white people. There are um, negative psychological costs to racism for white people, too. Now, I want to be clear that these costs are in no way comparable to the substantial economic, political and social costs that people of color continue to face. But there are consequences. There are moral consequences, spiritual consequences, social material of being in the dominant position in an unjust hierarchy of racism. 
And, um, you know, so that's a that's a first step that it's not working and that people are committed and willing to do something about it. You know, there are a lot of challenges for not becoming an anti-racist organization. So, so again, going down the list, the list of first steps, uh, if, if you're, if you're encouraging people to do this work and they buy into their racism doesn't work for anyone, not even our white brothers and sisters, uh, cause it certainly don't work for people who are on the wrong end of, of racism. How do you get started to do this? What are the first few steps? You said you got to acknowledge it. What are the other, um, uh, steps to get this thing started in your company or organization? Jerry, what I would say to organization decision makers who are looking to take this sort of transformation on to become an anti-racist organization is to not do it alone. To get some support from qualified professionals. Uh, For my clients, I tell them to call me first, call me often before they do anything, because it's important to have a uh, facilitated, structured engagement where organizations can begin to take up how they are uniquely positioned to do this work. And what that includes is so developing a shared understanding of what the organization is actually taking up or trying to do, which will include some or should include some deep analysis. There are a lot of organizations that have been doing work for years. Um, There are several diversity and inclusion um, initiatives and efforts that um, organizations have taken up over the last decade and even before then. And so, Could they take a closer look at that? Could they do some analysis on, does this move us closer to where we ultimately want to go as becoming an anti-racist organization? Or does it serve as a barrier for where we want to go now? And create what I would like to call a best of as a foundation for uh, a shared analysis of where do we want to go? I think it's important that organizations also explore the key elements of racism and how that plays out within their organization and within their workforce and clarity around why an anti-racist organization versus something else and being able to connect for people how that works for everyone because racism works for no one. So uh, we've covered some pretty good uh, ground in our uh, the beginning of our conversation. I'm going to summarize, but is there is there um, any one more thing that you want to add as people are, are listening to this podcast that they they might want to do or consider? Is there a favorite book? Is there some some kind of a resource you encourage people to go? What what would you like to share with the audience before I summarize? I would say that I think it's important for people to do their own work. You know, that has to be self-determinant, right? And so not everybody enters, you know, racial justice or anti-racism at the same spot at the same time um, within their life. We're all on a journey. And so, um, you know, being clear that it's, that it's, you know, that it's complicated, that there is no one way to do it. There's no one book that someone can read and, you know, ultimately get it. You know, folks have to, you know, do their work and begin to figure out what unique contribution that they can make, you know, in this space. Oh, that's a great way to bring this portion of the session to close. Let me summarize kind of what what we've heard uh, for the audience. Uh, You said we have to begin in the in the beginning. We have to start with race. We have the conversation about race. You you talked about racism is is tied to the to the system. 
um, and, and that there's a structure and, and that it benefits some and not others. Race plus prejudice plus power equals racism. So power is a big portion of this. You, you told us there were three forms uh, in institutionalized or structural, uh, personalized and, and, um, meditated is the one you've th- people been thinking about it and, and, and internalized the kind of stuff that works against your own people, your own, your own self. And, uh, that anti-racism is the belief that it exists on all levels. Uh, that it's a system and it's structured and, and what we must work against it. It's not enough. Uh, as you said, it's not enough just not to be racist. Uh, you have to, you have to do something. It's tied to the organizational performance and, and you must move towards anti-racism, be purposeful with it. Uh, they, they say you, 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 when people say they can't see color, that means they don't see you. So we have to work to push those, those terms that don't work. Um, anti-racism is tied to, to performance, as you said. Some common attributes that I thought were really good for people to apply. Uh, a clear case to take on race. Uh, you have to make the business case why this is mission critical. Standards, data, 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 you said analyze, right? That's what you said. And accountability. Um, support people of color, you know, and facilitate these things that, that produce better outcomes. Education's ongoing. Uh, it, it's part of a transformation. It's not just going to be one and done. So if you took a training last month, folks, you're going to take another one and another one and another one because we need them. Uh, and then uh, the last couple of things is racism doesn't work for anyone, not even white. So, so, uh, let's get started by acknowledging that it's not working, uh, that, that this is a transition. Get help. Get some professionals like you, uh, Dr. Brown. You certainly are available and certainly MFHA's got resources that we can facilitate. We can bring available. Uh, and then, you know, you got to do your own work. Um, it's complicated. There's no one way. So, uh, Dr. Brown, I want to thank you for your time with us today. You, this was certainly eye opening in this, this short period of time. I think we've given people a lot to think about. Uh, I wish you well in your work. I look forward to you and I doing something again in the future. Uh, and to all of our listeners, we'll see you next time. Thank you, Jerry. It was a pleasure and happy to engage in a conversation as long as it's a need to be in conversation. That's our show for today. Special thanks to our listeners. And thank you for taking a seat at the table with us today. If you found our show to be valuable, please share with your network and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, as that helps more people find the show. You can also subscribe for free so that you never miss an episode. A Seat at the Table is brought to you by the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance and is produced by Dante32. Kellogg's Away From Home is here to help you create cravings that keep customers coming back. So let's work together to get ahead of the demand, ahead of the competition, and ahead of the crave. Learn more at kelloggsawayfromhome.com.